Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor returning for 2022, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown, fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. Another sponsor thank you goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Well, it's great to be here today to share our eighth consecutive floral forecast for the Slow Flowers community. The audio you'll hear was recorded during our Slow Flowers member virtual meetup on January 14th, and those who attended got an early sneak peek at the report. We recorded the session, and I'm sharing the edited version with you today. This report has become an important gauge for our members, as well as for the greater floral marketplace and the business media, as we evaluate prevailing cultural shifts, notable changes, and breakout ideas influencing flower farming, floral design, and consumer attitudes about flowers. The Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast debuted in December of 2014, when I first compiled my top predictions for the following year, 2015, and shared them with the media and the floral profession. The forecast has continued through last year, 2021, as I gathered intelligence over the course of each year, conducting hundreds of magazine and podcast interviews, and soliciting feedback through our annual Slow Flowers member survey. For 2022, we're changing things up a bit. I'm so pleased to be joined in this endeavor by Bloom Imprints Creative Director, Robin Avni. Robin has contributed her unique point of view and expertise in developing this year's forecast with Slow Flowers. And much of what I've learned about forecasting has come from my past collaborations with Robin. Robin has successfully managed innovative award-winning teams and high-profile projects, as well as receiving numerous national design awards. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies, national advertising agencies, and award-winning media properties, applying lifestyle insights to their businesses in a timely way. I want to get right to the juicy parts of our presentation. So let's jump right in and learn about 2022's Floral Reawakening. Good morning, everyone. I am so happy to see so many wonderful people in our waiting room who uh, Karen is letting uh, join this wonderful meetup. Uh, so as people are entering, I'll just 
introduce myself. Hi, I'm Deborah Prinzing, founder of Slowflower Society and today's host, but I've got a wonderful co-host and our special guest. So I'll tell you about her in a minute. Um, welcome to 2022, everyone. I hope you're feeling as um, optimistic as I am. I think I'm optimistic because yesterday I actually saw a few of my tulips poking out of the containers in my backyard. Maybe they weren't the tulips. Maybe they were the narcissus. Anyway, by by at least a half an inch. So there's a little promise of green there. And I'd like to right now introduce my good friend, Robin Avni. She's my partner in Bloom Imprint. Hi, Robin. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. We see each other on Zoom almost every day. <laughs> so. Yeah, Zoom, phone, message, you name it. Driveway. <laughs> Driveways. <laughs> well, um, for about the last eight years, I've done a, a, a forecast for Slow Flowers community, but things have changed for me in the last 12 months. And that one is that Robin and I are running Bloom Imprint together, our boutique book publishing company. And you'll hear more about that later. I see a few of our authors are on here today, Robin. Um, Cynthia Zamaria has joined us. And a few people who are in some of our books have joined us too. So I saw Kaifa Anderson Hall is here. Um, let's see who else caught my eye. Uh, anyway, I'll shout out as I see you. I can't scan very quickly, but I think Sandy Feigl is here. She's in Where We Bloom. So is and Teresa Rao. She's in Where We Bloom. So we've got a, a, a good flow of people from Slow Flowers being featured in Bloom Imprint, but. This topic today is specifically going to be better than ever because Robin is a has an extensive career in trend research and consumer ethnography. And um, I'd love, to, Robin, do you just talk a little bit about that uh, practice and, and how we integrated it into the Slow Flowers forecast this year? That's great. Happy to do so, Deborah, and welcome, everybody. Um, so we just want to give you a little background. So... Our, this analysis is done over a year period. So we just didn't sit down like over January beginning and do this. And it's based on what's called steep analysis, which is S-T-E-E-P. And what that means is S is for social. What's going on socially in the environment? What's happening? What do we see are, that's, that's happening across the country, across the world socially? For instance, is there a particular amount of unrest? For, the, for us this year, of course, the big social thing is COVID, right? So then T, technology. And technology meaning not only what are the advances and not the hard tech, but how are we communicating with one another and what technology is impacting our lives and our decisions. The next is environment, something we're all very familiar with, but the environment in terms of uh, just everything from weather um, to attitude about things. Um, the, the second E is economic, and that means How's the economy doing? What's happening? Um, are things good? Are things bad? Et cetera. And then the, the last one, P, 
means political. So what's the political landscape, which has been very interesting to watch over these last couple of years. It's always fascinating, but it does impact everything that um, happens in our lives. So what we use is we use primary data resources, which are things like Deborah's survey, Slow Flower survey that she did with you. We also look at demographic data, such as census um, material and other demographic um, research, and as well as other kinds of surveys and research that happens over the year. And then we look at secondary data. And that means like all your books, all your magazines, all those news and and social things that are going on that you hear about in terms of, um, you know, just your everyday life, what your neighbor's doing, what your cousin's doing, um, all of those things play into it. And what that ends up creating is what we call is our zeitgeist for the year. And we do this over the year and I make folders and I throw things in them and then I throw them all at Deborah and we talk about them. (laughs) It's really been fascinating. And uh, it's funny because we 10 or 11 or 12 years ago, Robin started a group in Seattle called Real Women, Real Life. This was pre-Instagram. And it was a group of about 10 women, uh, journalists and uh, lifestyle experts who we created this blog and we each had a subject matter expertise. So I was the home, I was the garden person. Uh, we had a parenting person. We had an or, home organizing person. We had a, a nutrition person and a health person. Yeah. Yeah. And we blogged for over a year and it was really awesome. But as Robin says, if Instagram had been around, this would have taken off. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm remembering those days, Robin, and all the things that we did together. And I'm so I, it's like so secondhand to work with you. So second nature to work with you and just know uh, how, you, how you see the world and then how you take a macro trend as you're calling it the Uber trend and filtering it down to our community and our t- topic of flower farming and floral design and sustainability. It's yeah. really fascinating. Well, thank you. And this is more just for the audience. This is more than um Periwinkle is the color of the year. No offense, <laughs> Nisha. Um, and it's more than, you know, um, COVID's really impacting all of us. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more than that. It's so, more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's dig in and um we're happy to take your questions. Just put them in the chat and Nisha or um, you know, or Karen uh, will jump or in. Karen yeah. will jump in with them. Yeah. Okay, go. Well. I want to just say you use the term zeitgeist. So I guess our zeitgeist is floral reawakening. That's our our um, theme for the year. And I just have to thank Pepper Harrow for this amazing field shot of Cosmos because um, I just at the last minute said to them, do you have a, far, a field shot that I can use that we're not using in your upcoming book? So they sent this over. Um, and we, uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about this, but... Um, Robin has addressed some of the ways that we've uh, done the analysis um, and we'll, we'll share this deck with people too. So let's dive in and look at our first insight. Uh, is that okay, Robin? You ready for that? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Uh, I love this phrase now or never. Robin just kept circling back to it and saying, you know, everything she's reading and hearing, especially in our community, are people really using the last two years to look seriously at what they're doing with their lives and what do they want to do and taking advantage of this source force pause that we have all we thought we were done with we might be back into it who knows um but 
you know, as each of us evaluates, you know, the mission and purpose of our floral enterprises, it's important to, you know, recognize that COVID has uh, taught us that nothing's guaranteed. Um, this photo uh, is really fun. It was given to me by Jennifer Couvant of Six Duchess Farm uh, in Hudson Valley. She's with her partner, Hans Lee. And um, this year they gave up their apartment in Manhattan and just moved to the farm permanently. And we're going to have her on a future podcast. You can hear more about it. But um, I there was a quote that she wrote on her Instagram feed that really caught, uh, caught my attention that kind of embodied all of this. She said, we made the decision to let go of our apartment and pack up many decades of belongings and move them to the farm, all part of the process of letting go of our New York City home of many years. Life evolves and we know it's time. And that is a shift we hope to finalize in 2022. So Robin, you want to talk a little bit about yeah. the larger culture? Well, what's interesting is many of you might have heard these phrases called the great resignation or the big quit, where people um, are quitting their jobs. And this isn't just, you know, there's a very basic level of, you know, I just can't do this anymore um, every day and I'm I'm in danger of my health and my family. But then there's a, a larger level of this, which is I've taken a pause and I've decided that. I, it's now or never, I have an opportunity to do something different with my life. COVID has given me that pause, which is a blessing in disguise. And um, the phrase, just so you know, the, the, um, the great resignation was made by a uh, um, Anthony Klotz, who's a professor at the business school at Texas A&M University. And now he has um, just really it's taken off and they use all of this in relation to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics that millions have quit their jobs as of July 2021 to try something different. And also along these lines, they've moved the demographics show big moves all across the country. This is a great example. For those of you who are interested, there was an article in the New York Times just last week about New Yorkers who moved out of the city and how people are angry at them. Their friends are angry at them. So this is a perfect example of that article. Um, and I would say that, Deborah, according to your survey, 51% launched a new product or service in the past year in their floral business, and um, 36 phased out of other products that they're no longer doing. Yeah, and... Um you know, even 14% said that they relocated in the last two years. So, and 11% left their full-time non-floral job for flower farming or floral design. So even in our community, we're seeing that uh, people are doing this <clears throat> introspection and looking in the mirror and saying, well, as Robin coins this phrase, now or never. Um, and I think what, what this means for you and your business is uh, to <clears throat> take that time to consider what you want to do for the future and what changes you can make that will make you like be feel more fulfilled and feel more like you're living your mission and your purpose. Uh, that's one reason why I asked Xenia if we could do a, a, a giveaway of a, a workshop yeah. with her vision board uh, webinar, because that's super timely and that's in taking place at the end of the month. So you aren't going to get too drawn into your new year uh, yet. Uh, you're going to, be able to take some of these ideas we're talking about today and consider how you would apply them to your business. Um, 
Anyway, this point, are you done, Robin? I wanted that. Just yes, okay. we should move on. Because All right. So this point, this point now or never kind of dovetails beautifully with our next insight. And that is uh, the connection of flower professionals with the consumer marketplace. Increasingly, and I call it plant your bouquet. So increasingly flower farmers and cut, cut flower growers are seeing this potential of sharing their expertise with customers who want to plant the same cool varieties that the professionals plant or want to design with the same cool flowers that the floral, the florists are, are designing with. So uh, we're seeing that um, kind of in the seed market where the demand for seeds and, and panic buying for seeds really took off uh, in 2021. It's no, not slowing down. Um, but I've interviewed several of our members who are seeing a way to sell cut flower plant collections to uh, customers who want a kind of the turnkey instant gratification cutting garden. They, they might want to buy the seeds that they feel like they want to be gardeners, but so often people are like, no, just give it to me, just do it for me. And this beautiful photo uh, was given to me by um, Sarah Berkeley, who's a member in Minnesota. She owns Sarah's Cottage, Gar- Cottage Creations and Flower Farm. And Sarah has a landscape design business. She had all this acreage, so she started growing cut flowers. And then she realized I could integrate my cut flower farm with my landscape design business and design cutting gardens for people and teach people how to do cutting gardens. So I think it's really timely and it's something we can all take advantage of. Yeah, and this is a perfect example of that larger cultural uh, trend where 20 million new participants picked up the trowel in 2020. People have gone to their gardens and you have all heard this one for sure, but it's not slowing down either. And people are looking at this as planting their bouquet in their backyard. Um, They've moved on from the pea patches. Uh, We like to say here that vegetable gardening is a gateway to flower gardening. People start with vegetables, they get a tomato in a pot and they have success or they plant peas. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? I could have flowers all day long, all summer long or all season long. I don't need to, you know, um, I can fill in with local farmers if I want but I could plant my own selection. So um, so this is really a great trend for us. Also, what's interesting is we have another uh, statistic that we found that 55%, is it 55%, Deborah, of the people who are new to gardening in this past year were male? Yeah, it was so, amazing. So keep that in mind. Um, it's kind of like when I used to in, uh, do a food analysis and I did a supermarket survey survey of who did the shopping in the household. And we discovered that it was shared 50-50. So think of that when you're also thinking about, you know, planning your bouquet and also your garden experiences. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the uh, I guess, comments that came out of the Slow Flowers member survey uh, was we asked people, how are you diversifying your floral offerings to customers? And that that really informed this insight. One person said, um, we're offering education tips and tricks for customers interested in growing their own cutting, cutting gardens. Um, we had uh, over 45% well, we asked people, how are you diversifying floral offerings to customers? Um, the top option was cut flower garden design. That was over 45%. Uh, the second trend was selling tubers and bulbs 
to customers or florists. And we've seen that going on for many years, these sort of boutique collections of of Dahlia tubers and bulbs. That was about about 43%. Um, The third highest at 35% was cut flower plant starts sold to customers or florists. And that's this insight I'm just talking about where if you're a retailer or a designer, or a grower, you can create these curated collections for your region and market them for people who don't want to do all the research. They just want you to give it to them. <laughs> Which, by the way, Robin, that goes with one of our insights from last year, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, see- I'm, I, and I'm that person. I'll admit it. Just give it to me. Tell me what works. <laughs> Yes, you are. Uh, And then the fourth highest ranking one was people creating their own seed collections. So there's a lot here for you to unpack and consider for how you can leverage this insight and share your knowledge with your um, with your customers, be be florists or uh, consumers. Okay, insight number three. um, We call it supply chains boost local. What it really should be is broken supply chains boost local because uh, we're seeing this hyper-local pride uh, as people want their purchases to benefit businesses in their community. Um, Robin quoted uh, a writer that she saw, uh, which I thought was perfect, where someone said, I didn't really need to source from China. I had everything I need right here. And so this shift of looking closer to home, whether it's a necessity or whether it's because you care about seeing the you know, the small independent businesses in your community stay in business through uh, this disruption. It's really, um, it's not going away. And uh, this is one of the most pressing insights, even in our survey. So I'll let Robin comment about the larger culture, and then I'll share some of the insights from our survey. Well, this is no surprise probably to anybody um, in terms of supply chain, but I also want to underscore that this just isn't because of COVID. It's also because of weather. Um, You've all seen this across the country just in the last few weeks. Um, For those who are in Washington state, they know this, but we actually had all three of our major highways shut down with um, snow the past two weeks. The, the uh, state, east to west, east statewide, to west, right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the east to west. So everything was, any any kind of truck supplies that were coming from what we would say east of the mountains, they were stuck. Um, and that impacted everything. And then we get a text on from our neighbor, the lines at the Frank Meyer, for, for the Fred Meyer, are all the way down the aisle, people are, it was like people went nuts, right? It was like, like, toilet paper and COVID. So I think what's happening here is it's like an awakening. You know, people are going, well, wait a second. You know, I don't need to count on, you know, uh, somebody shipping me something um, in the, in the mail for my holiday gifts. I can go local. Um, And all of those type of things are impacting. um, And especially in the local flowers area. So people also are having an environmental awareness of what that means to bring something from abroad now and to also, uh, you know, bring something from across the country. So local, local, local is uh, everything, especially for when you get in the food, vegetable and flower range. You're right. And they're all the perishable categories, right? Yeah. I want to just say that this photo uh, features a, Rose Kocher and Rose is a the uh, one of the managers at Green Center in Pittsburgh, and this is a 
a photo that uh, a, of a group of images that Green Center shared with me last year uh, when they decided, well, because of every wedding, uh, every wedding they booked got postponed, they pivoted and decided to really emphasize their CSAs from their, and they, they had their own um, growing fields. So they were able to really market their own flowers um, as a product offering to keep their customers uh, engaged and to create cash flow for themselves. I also wanted to mention that yeah. you partnered, Slow Flowers partnered with the National Gardening Association and GardenResearch.com on a survey this year about national attitudes about local and domestic cut flowers. And what you found was 57% of survey respondents said that it is very or somewhat important to them that the flowers they purchase are grown in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, that That's was exciting. awesome statistic. Yes. And uh, by the way, we are going to partner, Slow Flowers is partnering with the National Gardening Survey again for 2022. And this time we're asking those same attitude questions and uh, about, you know, how people feel about local and domestic flowers. But we're also asking um, where people buy their local and domestic flowers when they purchase flowers. So that I'm excited about those findings and we'll, we'll be sharing those in April. So um so and I also think, yeah. you know, another interesting thing about this is that um, you said that um, it's not only the consumer, it's also um, other, you know. The B2B, right? Right, exactly. Right. We heard a, a wide range of um, comments from florists who, I mean, over the last two years, who have really shifted their buying practices and um, spent more time uh, cultivating relationships with flower farmers. I think you all know that um, everyone who's on this call is on one side of that equation. And um, we had in our survey, we had 40, 48% of our members said that they diversified their sourcing practices uh, in 2021. And what I thought was interesting is 54% of our respondents said they grow between three quarters to all of the flowers they use in their own design work. So um, local is hyper-local and um, it's not going to change. We're, 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 for all the reasons Robin mentioned that are kind of macro, it's also about the sustainability issue. Okay, should we go to our next insight, Robin? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this one, uh, Nisha will laugh at because we uh, are gonna talk about color. Um, we, we love that Pantone has you know, the corner on the market for the color of the year. We, sometimes we agree with it. Sometimes we don't. Uh, Elise Berry Perry is in a, um, a floral palette. It, unlike the gray of last year, which was pretty difficult to, to, to use unless you, I don't know, had a few gray leafed plants. Um, but really what this is about is just an over, an, an overall shift that's happened over, at least for the last five years to see more color in the floral world. Um, we've, we've been talking about this, you know, since 2015, but um, uh, we asked our members uh, to identify the, their preferences in color and it was literally all over the map. So um, Robin, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about why, why we're getting away from whites and blushes, or, you know, maybe it's both practical and aesthetic. Well, I think it's a mix of both for sure. You know, the, the supply chain definitely is impacting this, but also I think you see this emerging of artistic expression and personality and 
color is a way for people to express that. And we've seen that in, you know, uh, periods of cultural and artistic disruption that happen. You know, the references ranging from the pre-Raphaelites, the 1960s is a great example, the bling of the 1990s. And, you know, there's new lifestyle trends like Granny Chic, a mashup coined by House Beautiful, where, believe it or not, millennials now actually, not millennials, but the next gen also is interested in more of their grandparents' style, call it hand-me-downs if you want, but um, for budget restraints. But you see those colors emerging and that tr- that those styles emerging. Um, so while the Pantone color of the year is very peri, you can always look at things like Sherwin-Williams, uh, Bear Paint, um, all the other paint companies, they all come out with their own color palettes of the year as well. So it's all over the place. But I think the main emphasis here is that overall people are looking for a little brightness in their lives. And that's why you're seeing a real shift to a variety of palettes. Yeah, I saw one phrase when we asked our members about their floral palette predictions for 2022. I thought one of the well, I'll just I'll just give you a range. Um, organic neutrals still tops the list with 25% preference, um, which I think is a nod to weddings. Um, but the other palettes were uh, warm and saturated, uh, which was uh, almost as strong as organic neutrals, and then mixed medley, which is really back to our polychromatic um, insight from a couple years ago. But I love the term joyful post-pandemic colors as a way to describe 2022's brighter, more vivid palette shift. And I, I think that when when I gave Robin a selection of, of bouquets from our members, she created this slide uh, and you see there's, yeah, there's a little bit of blush, but there's, there's definitely more saturated palettes that, that I think in general we're all ready for. Yeah, and, it's, and and remember, these uh, your customer wants to feel personalized that they're making their own personal choices about their palette. I will also just add one more thing, which I think relates specifically to the Slow Flowers community and kind of a brand differential. And that is palettes are taking on a greater reflection of what's in season. So there's a spring palette, there's a fall palette, there's a, a peak of summer palette. So it's more about uh, using that reality to um, market your, your hmm. I don't know, your ability to help your customers reflect the season rather than rely on some on-demand 24-7 availability of a specific bloom like white or blush for a wedding. So I think that that does influence floral style. Um, if you really want to use the seasonality as your guide. Um, this is an insight that Robin really um, really got on my radar, and that is grounding rituals. In the past uh, year, last year actually, we had floral wellness as a top theme. Uh, a lot of that had to do with just that kind of immediacy of people trying to do self-care uh, during the uncertainty of COVID through from 2020 into 2021, but this is a little bit more uh, intentional and not reactionary as this insight. Um, we, uh, we want to, we're seeing everyone wants to steep themselves in nature and be their soul, body, and spirit. But there's a, this is having applications in a wide range of uh, iterations. This image is from Pepperharrow Farm. They are doing uh, a workshop 
in 2022 that it will play off of their amazing lavender fields in Iowa and have a perfume making activity. So they let us borrow this image. Well, I think what's interesting here is you see a lot of talk about ritual and about process, about just doing something for the process and for having it be a regular part of your life and finding that it's very grounding. I see many of you on your Instagram feed talk about your either morning or evening walks through your garden. Um, Even the individual consumer in their backyard, I see that I go out. Um, A friend of Slow Flowers, Lorraine Edwards, has a book coming out um, about her daily ritual of color from the garden. Um, We see these, these things cropping up all over as a way to put some calm and peace into our lives. The average American spends 93% of their time indoors. Now, the Northwest would probably skew a little differently, but in general, this is an accurate statistic where we are indoors. I I don't think I've been outdoors in, you know, uh, I walk out on my deck right now because it's been pouring here in, in, in the Pacific Northwest. But one of the trims we, we kind of saw that's coming out of Japan, it's called forest bathing. I'm sorry. We're going to suggest flower bathing. Right. We're going to play off of that. Right. Right. But forest bathing is not not bathing in the forest, taking a bath in the forest. It's walking into the forest and just experiencing the calm and peace and beauty. And so Deborah suggested we take a a riff off of that and, and, and talk about adopting flower bathing where you really get to appreciate those flowers and talk about the ritual. I, you know, do I do a setup when I go to make a bouquet? Um, Do I walk my garden every morning and just, uh, you know, with my cup of coffee, what do I do that can get me ready either for the end of the day or bring me down during, you know, and give me some peace at the end of the day? I think we've seen uh, this awareness uh, of, how much nature, you know, heals people for many years and our members who are taking advantage of that. And I don't mean this in a kind of just crass business way, but I think members are in tune with this because they know how much their farm or floral experience is nurturing them. And they want to share that with their customers. And by opening the door to offer that opportunity, um, I think it's, it's, it's just, it can, it's just a positive shift. Um, we have a member named Jenny uh, Herbert of who has a company called Forest and Flowers Retreat House outside of Pittsburgh. She's basically a flower farmer, but she has a cabin getaway on her farm and she's marketing it um, for self-guided wellness retreats and then offering um, uh, botanical workshops for customers to experience the beauty of flowers and the healing essence of nature. So um, we also are working closely with, and this is what Robin was talking about, watching Instagram feeds, uh, working closely with our member Felicia Alvarez of Menagerie Farm and Flowers. To We're working on a book with her that will be about growing roses. It's coming out in a few months called Growing Wonder. But uh, every day, or you know, we see Felicia posting her sunset walk on her in her rose fields mm-hmm. and her her community and her followers are engaging with that and uh, feeling like they're part of that, even yes. though they maybe couldn't physically be with her. Right. She says, good night, farm. <laughs> and she's like, oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I think, you know, if you can infuse grounding rituals into your floral enterprise and share that with your clients and customers who are seeking mindfulness and wellness, helping them tap into ritual and, you know, find a sense of calm through any number of floral activities and projects, it could be related. It could be journaling or um, uh, meditative activities. It doesn't have to just be flower growing and design. It's it's a tangential uh, related, you know, symbiotic way to have these experiences in a space of flowers. Um, and I like what Robin said, turn off the phones, be in the moment and resist the urge to take a selfie. So <laughs> you all know this. <laughs> um, okay. Our next insight we're really excited about because uh, we had a very successful uh, meetup in March of last year with three of our members who are very much involved in uh, dye plants and pigment making and art making from their flower farms. And so actually this image, uh, Lourdes uh, still from Masanyana farm in um, uh Canada gave us this and she's in Manitoba. And I just, I love that, that this photo shows how vivid the plant world is for artists. And uh, Robin coined this phrase forever flowers. Um, I had first started looking at non-edible agriculture as like a legitimate form of farming, which cut flowers fit into, Mm -hmm. but it's beyond that. And um, I think that Robin, you want to mention sort of why this was so important to you as you looked at this insight? Well, I think this really ties into the larger cultural trend of repurposing, reuse, recycling, and preserving. It it all adds up to this, but it, it's, it's, it's a piece of the culinary world nose-to-tail approach that lets you use everything and not throw things away and reduce waste. Um, and and, you know, so so we see that happening with what these um, artists are doing and creatives are doing with actual flowers. Um, and they're getting attention from co- from collectors and galleries and the media. Um, we're, we even have a little section in the upcoming summit called Flowers as Artist Muse. And um, we are fortunate to have uh Potter Frances Palmer, who's going to talk about that, her her pottery ritual and her gardening rituals and how they they coincide. And then also, if you haven't followed this Instagram feed, I encourage you to go look at Ronnie Nicole Robinson, whose Instagram feed, she does botanical designs for paper, plaster, um, all sorts of other other items. Um, Her work is beautiful and now is collector status. Um, We also, I would look at we look at how it's used in baking, how it's used. Uh, Julie Beeler, who is a, a Slow Flowers member, has a whole uh, uh, colors that she gets from um, a variety of uh, of products and plants. Um, and particularly, she's working with mushrooms. Is that correct, Deborah? Yeah, she's created um, the Mushroom Color Atlas that we we featured on a podcast earlier this year, which is blew my mind. <laughs> Yeah, and we also see things like, um, you know, uh, watercolor coming, watercolor, natural watercolor coming from flowers. So, you know, the the great thing about something like that is you're not using the perfect flower, you're using the essence of the flower itself. So um, it it opens a lot of opportunities for sustainability and using every piece of the product. 
Yeah. And I would say the relevance to, we know our members, a lot of our members are already doing this. As I mentioned, uh, we had Lourdes and Julie and Elaine Vandiver, uh, who co-presented um, our, you know, let's talk about dye plants uh, session last year, which was super, uh, it was, it, to me, it just showed the, all the potential of where, where we're going with the opportunity of basically crop extension. Like what are you growing and what is it for? Um, you know, if you, I would say, if you don't know where to begin, invite a local artist or makers group to visit your farm or your studio. Those are the people who will see things that you're doing in a new way and perhaps uh, create some possible artistic collaborations. Um, we're going to create a book with Julie Beeler uh, in 2023 called Forever Flowers. So we had to share this as an insight. I think this is an ongoing, um, this is, we don't even know how far we can stretch this, this insight uh, because it's based on artists and what, what artists do with the plants in their world. Let's talk about black flora. Uh, 2022 will witness a further emphasis on BIPOC representation across the green profession as the voices of flower farmers and floral designers of color are amplified. And we are all for this. We're so excited to see the inclusion um, of more diverse points of view infused in the marketplace, bringing energy, meaning, and recognition that gardening, flower growing, and floral design have long been too one-dimensional. In terms of human sustainability, this embraces this embrace of equity and inclusion is essential, I believe, to the future of agriculture, land access, food access, and uh, access to the marketplace for all. Um, the cover you see here is uh, for a book that is actually uh, a Bloom Imprint project going, going to the printer today, right, Robin? <laughs> yes, actually, it is. <laughs> and do you want to talk a little bit about this book? And um, we will, you'll, you'll all be hearing more about it. Yeah, um, well, this book, uh, a lot of people have put their heart and soul into this book. Um, from the participants to the writers um, and the photographers. And we're so appreciative of being and, and happy to be able to highlight this. Um, this is so reflective of a collective cultural shift that you're seeing um, in the faces of all the stories and, and presented by the media and just highlighted elsewhere. Floristry is no exception to the rule here. And um, so we want to see these black and brown floral entrepreneurs move to the forefront as experts, sources, and subjects. It's long overdue. And we're seeing major news media like the New York Times published feature and profiles. Um, they actually, uh, it was called Black Gardeners Find Refuge in the Soil. It was published in October 2021. Black Flora, this upcoming book, was mentioned in that. But um, but the article talked about history and and also, um, I think it's also was extended online in a variety of other pieces. So if you want to find that, just Google that, the New York Times, and you'll be able to find it. Um, so we also see a pro proliferation of Instagram accounts like Black Men with Gardens, Black Girls with Gardens, Black-owned seed companies, Black, the Black Sanctuary Garden. There's a beautiful one in San Francisco. Um, all of these are, you know, wonderful additions to the community, and uh, we should all share in the joy of this and support. You know, Robin, when I was proofreading the manuscript last night or the 
the PDF of, of our book design, that word joy jumped out in so many poll quotes. So many of the 22 yes. black flower farmers and florists who were profiled uh, by um, our author, Terry Spate, um, used the word joy about their their relationship with flowers. And it just, it really bubbled up as sort of the theme of this book. And uh, I think it benefits our whole community when we uh, highlight so many different stories and and personalities. So we're, um, you're going to be hearing a lot about this going forward and the energy and creativity that comes through these connections. I think it elevates the floral profession in an important new way that all should model. And I just want to say that this has always been a a value of slow flower society. And we are, um, we are just happy to see this shift uh, continue to uh, change the change the face of floristry so and flower farming okay let's and you'll hear more about this so we'll probably have a special meetup about uh all the all the folks that are in this book uh coming up okay number eight sustainability and the climate i had to grab the grid from our friend becky feesby of prairie girl flowers to show all the topics that this uh insight Involves. This was her one. This is just sort of the grid that you see at Prairie Grove Flowers where Becky does a sustainability Sunday post every week. Some of them are, you know, no brainers. Some of them are edgy and they all get a lot of attention and engagement. Uh, But this is the third consecutive year we have included the climate and climate concerns in the Slow Flowers Floral Insights. And as Robin says, has said to me, you know, things start out as trends and then they move into the mainstream. And I sort of feel like, you know, they get folded into the regular culture, I guess, is the way you describe it, Robin. And that's, uh, sadly, that's what's happening with our awareness about sustainability and the climate. But on the other hand, at least we're talking about it now. Yeah. And I think this is interesting. I mean, it's either this summer it was too hot for many of us, this this winter, it's too cold. Um, you can see it in all of our everyday lives. Um, even people uh, who I know who were kind of saying, ah, oh, this is really just a hoax, this whole climate change thing. It's just something to talk about, are now on board and realizing that there's, there's something amiss in the way our extreme weather is happening. And so it's made people uh, super aware, consumers and businesses, super aware of how they can be authentic about um, talking about how we can help the planet. And that's key. There's a phrase called greenwashing, which means, you know, use phrase like natural and that I, you know, care about the environment. You kind of really have to show it. Um, The consumer marketplace is getting very, very savvy now about what's real and what's not. I think that the number one issue that we see in the slow flowers community is this critical mass rejection of floral foam and plastics. Uh, We first forecast that we forecasted this in our very first uh, report in 2015. And uh, it's just, it's just snowballing in, in in a very high awareness way. Members are teaching sustainable design practices and communicating no plastic messaging in their branding and services. We asked uh, a question of, on our survey this year, what percentage of your design work uses alternatives to floral foam? And 75% of people said three quarters to 100% of the time they are using alternatives to floral foam. 
people cited, you know, all, all of the foam-free alternative mechanics that we've talked about. I'm excited that TJ McGrath is on this call. He's going to be demonstrating foam-free uh, floral installations uh, at the summit. Um, it's just like, you know, part of his DNA. He's He doesn't let his clients, you know, specify designs for weddings that use it. So I think it's kind of a business shift as well. So I do think that there's other iterations of this. We're seeing here in Seattle, there's a... Um, a zero waste, there's zero waste um, services. One is called Ridwell. There's another called TerraCycle. They're filling in the recycling gaps to um, create a way to, to recycle non sort of specialty items, not your average thing that you throw in the, in the recycling bin, but, you know, things like unique plastics or, you know, unique, um, uh, well, they're all plastic based, but they have different applications and they just can't be recycled by the regular municipality. So we're seeing this being adopted. And uh, I do think that the, the main takeaway is telegraph your climate friendly practices because consumers are um, seeing headlines that scare them and they want to know that you're um, an enterprise that they can trust to help them feel good about, you know, purchasing your services and your flowers. So and I will also add, there's a real generational thing here. For a lot of us who are, I would say, um, you know, boomers and Gen Xers that, um, you know, who kind of have come to this awareness, but for younger generations, um, this is just part of their DNA now. And it's part of what they're looking at in terms of all of the uh, things and products that they buy. So um, not everybody, it's not 100%, of course, there's different pockets, but it is an awareness that's kind of ingrained into them because they're, they've learned it in school. It's absolutely true. When you when you mentioned it that way, I remember when Alex came home from middle school and said, "Why don't we have a a food compost container under the sink?" Right. You know, and, and that's what forced me to do it. And this was maybe fifteen years ago. So yeah, it's it's everywhere. Okay, it's yeah. So our final insight. This is all Robin and I. When she <laughs> said to me, "We have to talk about the metaverse," I literally did not know what she was talking about. <laughs> so. I'm going to let you talk about this one, Robin, and I'll jump in uh, with uh, a few additional thoughts. <laughs> well, I'll just, um, I have to uh, share, I have to tell on you a little, Deborah. when we were talking about this, she goes, so there's apps in the metaverse? And I'm like, no, there's no apps in the metaverse. Apps have nothing to do with the metaverse. The metaverse is about a virtual reality environment or what's called an augmented reality environment. These are environments that include technology. And so um, it's a digital space and you can interact with a computer generated environment. Um, you can either be totally immersed in it or you can lay it on top of your existing real space. Um, it's virtual, it's not physical. Um, and uh, if any of you have seen the uh, Van Gogh experience or whatever that's traveling around, it's not like that. It's, it's even a little more immersive in terms of of an environment that you step into. Um, we know a lot about immersive floral experiences. Um, that's what we do. So um, I ask, are there flowers in the metaverse? And I would say there absolutely has to be flowers in the metaverse. And so what does this you know, exactly mean? Um, it's, it's just um, to say, 
This, we're at this point here, um, according to uh, just a recent analysis by um, Wonderman, where um, the vice president of research of the Consumer Technology Association said recently, we're starting to talk about the metaverse now the same way we talked about the internet in the early 1990s. So for all of you who said, I'll never need a website. Why do I wanna have a blog? You know, oh, what's this about Instagram? TikTok? Do I need to do TikTok? All of these things that came along that became fundamental influencers in our lives and in consumers' lives, this is where the metaverse is now. This is where it's starting. Um, it might seem a little science fiction-y, but the fact is, is that it will evolve over time. And I can say that having had some really um, experienced some of these wonderful virtual experiences, Gina Davis, the actress was very early on and did a, um, an, an immersive virtual experience in the metaverse that was actually beautiful. Um, I actually, you know, was brought to tears by it. So this is not scary. There's always a scary component, but there's also a very positive component that you should be aware of. And, um, and I think that uh, it's really important for you to be aware of this. There's nothing that you particularly need to act upon at this time, but um, I think you really need to think about what it may be in your future. And also think of the technology too. Technology is a tool for your communication. Technology is a way that you keep in contact with your customers now, whether it's your website, whether it's your newsletters, all of those things, they're part of a larger communication package and a part of a larger relationship package. And one thing Deborah always says, and we always talk about is own your content. So that means that you want to be the one who is talking about your business and putting your brand out there. So just think about all of that in terms of what the future might hold um, and look at it as a continuation of all the work that you're doing now. Uh, I agree. And I thought that you did give me some examples that I could see where this was going when you talked about uh, the way retail is becoming uh, kind of this blurred virtual experience. And if anyone's in retail, that would be worth tracking as, and then you, you talked about a term called game vertising, where you basically yeah. shop, you play a game while shopping. And like all of these things are very early, uh, you know, being, being kind of presented to the early adopters, who knows where it's going to go for our experience. I would say just as kind of a footnote, we know about immersive experiences. They're based in reality. <laughs> Right. And that's what we do is, is kind of give our, give the antidote to all this technology to our consumers. So uh, this was, we always end the, the forecast with kind of a, a little edginess and uh, this, that's sort of what this is. But I guess the, the bottom line is, is that we, uh, we are in the middle of change. And um, we hope that change works for you and you, you leverage it rather than feeling uh, immobilized by it. That would be our wish for you and uh, going forward. Robin, thanks so much for creating this amazing report with me. Oh, we did it together. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, well, you made the beautiful slides though, lady. <laughs> Do you want to share anything else before we wrap up? Um, 
No, I just wonder if there's any questions that we should answer for people. We only have a couple of minutes, but Karen, are there any questions other than the comments? Um, that yeah. yeah. Yeah, one a few questions actually about the National Garden Survey that you guys might take a quick moment to um, answer. They asked if there would be a Canadian counterpart of the survey and also had a uh, suggestion on asking about um, purchase frequency too for the interesting mm-hmm. data that that might propose. What was the first one? Um, if there's a Canadian counterpart to oh, the survey. You know what? I I am not aware of one. I've talked with the National Gardening Association about that, and um, they weren't aware of a of an um, you know, like an affiliate organization. So we might just have to do our own survey in Canada, and I'll I, I, yeah we'll have to share our approach. And really, and to do it right, you have to work with a national survey um, model. We couldn't just do this kind of. It wouldn't have been scientifically accurate if we had just sent out a survey. We had to work with people who were, you know, qualified researchers. Robin, you probably have some comments about that because you've worked in research so much. Well, yeah, you just are, you know, I mean, I would just say that uh, that's what gives the the uh, the survey its legitimacy is you're doing standard practices. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And frequency um, could be something we could look at in the future. It, it's basically uh, the model of that of the National Gardening Survey is to, it's an omnibus survey uh, of over 2,500 American households. And um, it's asking about the past year's behavior. So it's hard enough to get people to remember how much they spent on flowers in a year. I'm sh- I'm not sure whether uh, the researchers want to try to have people recall their frequency, but I do think that that's a really great question. So and by the way, you can read that report. If you go to slowflowersjournal.com, we have all of the all the information about the results of those insights um, that we published in April of 2021. And we'll be doing it again this year. Uh, had a wonderful hour. I'm sure there's some questions that didn't get answered and Karen will give them to me so we can follow up with people individually. But I just want to thank you all for being part of this amazing session. Um, we're going to meet next month uh, in, um, post Valentine's day, uh, rather than having it be our meeting, be the second Friday of February, we're going to propose meeting February 18th, uh, which will give everyone time to recover from Valentine's day. So keep an eye out for that. And, um, yes, uh, Rachel is asking, will the survey be posted on the slow flowers website? We posted one report, uh, on slowflowersjournal.com. Uh, but there's, there's so much information from our survey. It will probably be a series like it was last year. So, okay. Thank you all so much. Uh, thank you, Robin. It's been a really great session, really good participation today. I appreciate you all joining us and we will share the replay video of this, um, uh, widely it'll, you'll be able to find it on YouTube. So, um, you can go back and watch it. Take care. Thank you so much. Happy 2022.
Thanks so much for joining me today. And if you visit our show notes for episode 542 at slowflowerspodcast.com, you can watch the full video of this presentation and see all the slides that go with it. There's so much to unpack in the nine insights we've discussed. So you can expect to hear more as I dig deeper into these themes and the people in the Slow Flowers community who are leading these major shifts and who can speak to us for extended stories and interviews. And please reach out to let me know what you think. You can always write to Deborah at slowflowers.com to share your insights. Our next sponsor thank you goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms, large and small, around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. I can't believe we're already here at the end of January. It has been an insanely rapid start to the new year, one with continued uncertainty about our health, our communities, and our planet. I believe we are stronger together when we can draw inspiration and comfort from one another. I hope to see many of you in the coming weeks as I host six of our members who will be teaching at the upcoming Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, February 9th through 13th in Seattle at the Washington State Convention Center. Slow Flower Society is again producing the Blooms and Bubbles workshops with some fantastic presenters, all Slow Flowers members, including Bethany Little of Charles Little & Company, Beth Cyphers of Crowley House, Kiara Hancock of K. Hancock Events, Kim Gruder and Tonnelly Gruder of Salty Acres Farm, and Toby Nelson of Toby Nelson Events. I'm giving you a heads up now because next week we will have our ticket giveaway for five sets of tickets. That's two tickets per giveaway. I'm going to have five of them, which will allow you to attend the flower show as my guest. You can find the details starting February 1st at our Instagram page, Slow Flower Society, and you'll hear about it next week. Before we wrap up, our final sponsor thanks goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than 808,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more Slow Flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor, other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. You can learn more about Andrew's work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.